Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. And at our church, we talk a lot about wanting to be a part of restoring faith in Jesus and the church. So we want you to know, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, whether you're deconstructing or reconstructing, whether you're disentangling, doubting, rebuilding, no matter where you are, we want you to know that you are not alone. And we want to be a support for you as you journey down this road of faith. So if you have questions or you need support, we would love to chat with you. You can reach out to us through our website at restoreaustin.org. And we hope you enjoy this week's message. A social worker in Eastern Europe was focusing her career on combating urban homelessness when she began to notice a disturbing trend. And that was that the number of very young children living alone on the streets was increasing dramatically. Now, she was understandably concerned and she decided to do some research, right, to, to see if she could figure out what was going on, if there was a, a cause behind all of this. And part of this research was spending time at one of the largest orphanages in the area. And on the day of her first visit, the social worker went on a tour of the facility with the director. The first stop was the nursery where more than 100 orphaned babies were kept. And the social worker was immediately struck by the noise or more accurately, the lack of noise. In a room filled with over 100 infants, it was like completely silent. None of them cooed, none of them cried. When the social worker asked the director of the orphanage why it was so quiet, she said, in this room we have 100 babies and two workers. It's impossible to give them adequate attention. So after about a week, the babies completely stopped making noise because they realized that people aren't going to come when they call out. Now, needless to say, the social worker was torn up by this and shortly after decided to, to refocus her entire life's work on orphan care. I first heard this story from a good friend who ended up adopting one of these kids from that orphanage through the social workers NGO in Eastern Europe. She's this beautiful and kind little girl, but still struggles to believe that she's truly loved that someone will come when she calls. In the 1950s, a psychiatrist named Dr. John Bowlby developed something called attachment theory. How many of you have heard of attachment theory? A lot of us. So Dr. Bowlby's proposition was that young children must develop a relationship with at least one primary caregiver in order to have healthy social and emotional development. And as he did research, Dr. Bowlby found out that not only was his theory correct, he had underestimated just how important attachment is for children. And today, attachment theory is more commonly called attachment science and has broadened to the study of how all humans form and maintain bonds with each other. Now, college and graduate students, when they are studying attachment science, they're usually introduced to it through a video of something called the still face experiment. Now, I'm not going to show the video. Um, because even though it takes place in a very controlled environment, it's still really triggering, honestly, and really difficult to watch. Because in this still face experiment, there's this one-year-old girl, and she sits in a high chair with her mom about a foot away. And they play, and they talk, and they laugh, and they touch, and they giggle. The little girl is, is pointing out things around the room, and the mom is responding, and this happens for a few minutes. But then after a few minutes, the mom lets her face go completely still and blank. And at first, the baby looks confused. She tries to get the mom's attention by pointing more, cooing, clapping, all the things that they were doing together just moments before. And after a few seconds, the baby, you can tell, is really upset. 
She begins to cry. She begins to try to, to wriggle out of her seat, desperate to get her mom's attention. After a few more seconds, the baby is in full meltdown, wailing, crying, trying everything she can to get out of her chair. Now, thankfully, the mom starts to interact with her immediately again. It only goes on for a few seconds, and it takes only a few moments after that for the child to calm down and settle back into happily playing like she was before. But this shows the importance of an engaged person with not just child, but with anyone. All of us have experienced these moments in life, right, where you are trying to get someone's attention. Maybe it was a parent Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a spouse, partner, loved one. And you feel like there's just a still face there. Reflecting on this experiment in his great book called Attached to God, Crispin Mayfield says, we are built for closeness. And when those we love go still face, we can hardly bear it. We feel the distance, even though they're in the room right with us, and we have to regain connection somehow. Disconnection demands a response. Sometimes we experience the still face of God. Now, of course, God is close because God is omnipresent, but we don't feel close. We're not getting any signals. Now, I don't know what you've been through in your life, what you've walked through, what you're carrying in here this morning, but I bet there have been times when you felt like the people around you were giving you a still face. I bet there have been times in your life when it's felt like you were calling out for help or for love, but no one came. I bet there have been times when you faced that underlying fear in the pit of your stomach that no one really cares. No one really cares enough to, to listen to enter into whatever it is that you're walking through alongside you. And I bet there have been times when you've experienced what feels like a still face from God. I know I have. I've had plenty of times in my life where it was like no matter how hard I prayed, no matter how much I read the Bible or went to church or gave or served or anything like that, I still felt like God was far off. That he wasn't responding to me. Regardless of what you've been told, this is not an abnormal phenomenon. I think there's a lot of shame attached to this happening to us, right? We feel like we're not able to connect with God in the ways that we want to, and especially when we would compare it to how maybe a friend or a family member or even somebody sitting next to us at church is able to seemingly connect with God, and we feel shame. We feel like something must be wrong with us. It must be our fault, But this is not abnormal. In fact, essentially every Christian leader throughout history has expressed this exact same feeling. In Psalm 13, King David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David, King David, felt the still face of God. In a letter to her spiritual director, Mother Teresa wrote this, when the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God, and then it is that I feel he does not want me, and he is not there. Mother Teresa. But even though it's certainly helpful, right, for us to know that we aren't alone, that saints for thousands of years have struggled too, it still doesn't fix the problem a feeling like God is distant. So how do we do that? Well, I don't have all the answers, 
But I think that it starts with understanding the truth about who God is and what God is like. And that's why about a month ago, we started this series that we're in right now called The Nature of God. And we're doing this series at the beginning of our year of healing and wholeness. We launched back in August because experiencing healing and wholeness, experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus offers starts with understanding the nature of God. Or to put it another way, if we believe the lie that God is distant and still faced, we will never enjoy the truth of the secure attachment that we actually have with God. And if we believe that truth, that God is steadfast, that God is faithful, all the things we just sang about, we will experience God's secure attachment no matter what we're going through. But before we open scripture and talk about God's faithfulness, I need to say one more very important thing. If you believe the lie that God is distant and still faced, it is not your fault. It is not your fault. Somebody taught you that. Somewhere along the way, someone from a church or your family or, or some other trusted source told you a lie about God. They taught you that God is attached to you when you're doing good things and detached from you when you're not. They taught you that God was, was for you, that God was with you, that God was close when you were, like Ava talked about earlier, doing things for him when you were showing up, when you were doing the right things, saying the right things, being the right person, whatever that looks like. And that he was far away when you weren't. Now, maybe it was a very well-meaning somebody who taught you that, right? And they thought they were helping you become a more obedient Christian, or maybe they were just passing along what they had been told. But regardless of why, it was and it is a lie. Because the truth that we find throughout scripture is that God is always near, that God is never detached, and that God is perfectly and completely faithful. Scripture says even when we are faithless, God is faithful. We do not have to try and catch God's eye like the little girl in the still face experiment. God's eyes have never left us. His loving gaze remains steadfast no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. See, faithfulness is one of God's core characteristics. God tells us that in his description of himself that we've been looking at throughout this series. Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, the God of compassion and grace. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. So we've been working through those six characteristics in bold over the last few weeks, and today we're focusing in on God's faithfulness. And we see this attribute demonstrated throughout Scripture, but my, actually my very favorite time is found in the book of Genesis. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background, then we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. If you want to turn there, phone, Bible, this verse will also be on the screen behind me. So in Genesis 12, God makes a covenant, an agreement with a guy named Abram, who later becomes called Abraham. This is what it says. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord 
had told him. So God makes this covenant, this agreement with Abraham in which God promises to bless the whole world through Abraham and his offspring. And Abraham promises to to trust God and to follow where he leads. That is the covenant agreement. God is restoring his relationship with Abraham's family so that he can begin restoring his relationship with every other family in the world. So Abraham and his lineage will be the catalyst toward this blessing of the whole world. So Abraham agrees to the covenant and promises to trust God, to follow wherever he goes. But literally six verses later, he makes a little detour, stops following God, tries to do things his own way. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So Abraham convinces his wife to lie and say she's his sister. And when they arrive in Egypt, Pharaoh takes her to be one of his wives. This is actually just the first of many. We don't have time to enumerate every instance, but suffice it to say, this is kind of just the first time that Abraham chooses to go his own way instead of going God's way. Chooses the lie instead of the truth. Like each of us, Abraham has ups and downs, right? Faithful moments, unfaithful moments, but ultimately he fails to uphold his end of the covenant agreement and it's broken. So a little while later, Abraham begins doubting that God is gonna come through on his end of the covenant. Now we read that and we hear a story like this and we think something like, of course, Abraham should be doubting, right? He didn't hold up his end of the bargain. So God doesn't have to hold up his end of the bargain either. But thankfully, that is not the way our God works. You see, even when we break our promises, he keeps his. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. So in the story, God senses Abraham's fear. He sees that he's worried that somehow now, because he's broken his side of the covenant, God's not going to fulfill his end. And so God visits Abraham to remind him of his unfailing faithfulness. Genesis 15, starting in verse one. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham, he was worried, said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my house will be my heir. Remember, God said, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have all these kids and lineage, and it's going to bless the whole world through this family. But it hasn't happened yet. And Abram is thinking, is it because of me? Did I mess up too greatly? Did I break my end of the covenant so severely that now God is not going to fulfill his end? But the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So that's God reminding Abram that he is going to fulfill his covenant. Now, the next part of the story, it gets really strange to us because we are so far removed from this ancient context and culture, but it's, it's vitally important that we look at it to not only understand Abram's story, but actually our story, because we're caught up in this story as well. It shows us this beautiful picture of who God is and what God is like and his relentless faithfulness to us. Here's what it says. 
So Abraham said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know that you're going to be faithful? I've been faithless. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. I told you it gets weird, right? Kind of a weird twist. That's why reading scripture in context is very important. There have actually been like cults and stuff who like, they're just like, oh, this is the verse. And then they like cut animals in half at church services and stuff. So that's why we understand the whole thing in context, right? We look at it. What's happening in this story, it actually wouldn't have been strange at all to anyone in the ancient Near East. They would have understood exactly what was happening here. God was deepening the agreement between himself and Abraham through something called a blood covenant. Now, I know that sounds like the title of a horror movie, but stay with me for a second, because what happens next is actually one of the most beautiful pictures of God's character in all of Scripture. See, blood covenants were very, uh, fairly common practices in this day and age, and here's how they worked. So animals, like it said, were cut in half, and then they were arranged opposite each other in a parallel line so that a walkway was created. And so then both parties would walk in between the animals as the symbolic way of saying, I am entering into this covenant with you. If I am not faithful to my end of the bargain, then may I die like these animals have died. It was like the deepest form of covenant. Pretty intense. Now I imagine Abraham is a little shaken up by this request from God, right? A little hesitant as he prepares the blood covenant because he remembers how he broke the last covenant like eight seconds after he made it with God, right? I'd be worried too. But this is where the story gets really, really good. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So this is God in the form of this smoking firepot with a blazing torch walking through the blood covenant pathway all by himself. That's not how this was supposed to work, right? Both people we're supposed to walk through it. I love how it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. It doesn't say, on that day, the Lord and Abram made a covenant together. Abram was asleep while it happened. You see, God knows that Abram is not going to keep this covenant, but he makes it anyway. He says, I will be faithful no matter what else happens. I will walk through this covenant for you. Not with you, Abram. I will do it for you. In the same way, God knows that we won't always be faithful to him. But he promises to be faithful to us no matter what. I love how Portland pastor John Mark Comer talks about this moment in his book called God Has a Name. It says, this is Yahweh, that's God. This is God's way of saying that even if Abraham and his children don't keep their end of the bargain, he'll still keep his promise. He'll rescue and save the world through this soon-to-be nation no matter the cost. And listen, if blood has to be spilled, it won't come from Abraham. It will come from Yahweh himself. He's willing to die and become like these animals just to keep his promise to bring the world back to life. 
If blood has to be spilled as a result of this covenant being broken, it will come from God himself. Does God being willing to die on behalf of humanity sound like a familiar story to anyone else? This is the story of Jesus. The story of God in the flesh, life, death, and resurrection. The ultimate expression of God's unfailing faithfulness. This always makes me think of one of my favorite quotes from Rachel Helda Evans. She says this, should all other identities or securities be thrown into tumult, should nations be fractured and temples torn down, this truth remains. God is with us and God is for us. It is a story as true now as it was then. My friends, God is with us God is for us and God is faithful to us no matter what. Or to put it another way, God is securely attached to us. I think you can make a compelling argument that God's faithfulness is actually the most secure attachment in the world. And like we've been saying every week, the foundational truth we must hold on to is that God is love and we are God's beloved, that he is faithful to us even when we are faithless. Like Rachel said, even if everything else is thrown into tumult, fractured or torn down, that is the truth that remains. My hope is that this understanding of God's faithfulness helps us lean into our secure attachment with God. But I also hope it helps us better, more securely attach with each other in healthy and beautiful ways. You see, understanding God's faithfulness is actually the first step in understanding how we are called to be faithful siblings to our fellow human beings as well. The author of Hebrews makes the connection like this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who, is, who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Just like faithfulness is a core characteristic of God, Community is a core characteristic of any healthy church. We are called to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to, to regularly gather together, to encourage one another. Every summer, we do this really fun thing here at Restore called Baptique. Have any of you ever been to Baptique? Raise your hand if you've been to Baptique. Baptique is amazing. If you haven't been, it's coming up again. It's a mashup of baptisms and barbecue. That's why it's Baptique. Just have fun. Baptique. And it's this big, beautiful party. And one thing we did last year was we recognized and sent off a handful of college grads who were getting ready to leave Austin. And one of them, her name's Caroline Klatt, she stood up and she spoke about why gathering together as a church family matters so much. She talked about how, whether it was on Sundays or in restore groups, we keep coming together to remind each other that we really do believe these things. We really do believe in God's unfailing love and faithfulness. We really do believe in the person and work of Jesus. And we really do believe in the power of healthy community to promote healing and wholeness in people's lives. We come together to remind each other of that, to spur one another on. 
Every Sunday and Wednesday night at our restore group, I'm reminded of those same truths by all of you. And it's a truly beautiful thing. And listen, because it's been so amazing for me and for my family, I want each and every person that I encounter to be able to experience the same thing, to be able to experience that healthy, secure attachment, community to God and to one another. So this morning, we're going to conclude the gathering a little bit differently. We're going to do something called Group Connect. Now, usually Group Connect with our Restore Groups is a time where we would kind of just do a service and we would dismiss and everybody would go out into the lobby and there would be group leaders out there. But today we're going to do it a little bit differently. So I'm going to ask our Restore Group leaders to actually make their way up here onto the stage and I'm going to tell you how it's going to work. So we're going to highlight a handful of groups this morning. I think five groups that meet here in Austin um, are in the surrounding area, the greater Austin area, and then one of our groups that is actually a part of our online community that meets over Zoom. So as they make their way up here, we're going to actually put a slide behind them with where they meet, day, time, all of that kind of stuff, and then they're going to tell you a little bit more about their group, about who they are and all of that kind of stuff. Does that sound good? Okay. First is Mark. Jordan and Christy Schuhart. Tell us about your group. Hi, so I'm Christy, and this is Mark Jordan. <laughs> and we pride ourselves in being the most diverse uh, group because this, and, and uh, we're, we're not married, so that's another fun twist. Um, <laughs> anyways, our group meets in far north Austin. We are composed of people that live in Austin, Round Rock, Cedar Park, Leander, Georgetown. Um, we meet every other Sunday at 6 p.m. We have folks in our group that are from every life stage. We have singles, married, empty nesters, married with kids, married without. Um, so our kind of motto is anyone is welcome, come as you are, um, and we would love to meet you and have you and connect with you. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Yeah, y'all clap. Clap for them. That's great. Great job. This is Jordan Shaw. She's going to go next. Hi, everyone. It's good to be here with you. Um, I'm sorry, I'm a little nervous. I'm used to small groups, not a big group. <laughs> <laughs> so bear with me a little bit here. Um, but I lead a small group. It meets at 7 p.m. on Wednesday nights. It is primarily for 20-somethings, but we love everyone. Um, <laughs> it's a really amazing group. I have been so blessed by them, and I am so thankful. We sort of alternate between doing a book study and more of a traditional Bible study. We are currently working through an N.T. Wright study of the Epistle James. Um, I'm just so thankful. It is a safe space for everyone to wrestle with these tough issues in the Bible, to just share stories and be in community with each other. And it's just so great. So we would love to share that with you as well. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Okay, Winnings Van Slyke group here. Hello, everyone. Good morning. My name is Triana, and I meet with Kevin and Jesse. We meet every other Sunday in the afternoon around 4 p.m., and we have food. We are coming for your diversity over here. We got, um, you know, just trying our best. We have some married people with kids, ages 3 to 10. We have a single single. Hello. And some grandparents as well. So we are, we're working up to y'all. We're getting there. But um, we meet every Sunday, like I said, every other Sunday, excuse me, at 4 p.m. We have food this Sunday, actually. Um, at 4 p.m., we are meeting at Garrison Park, and there will be pizza. 
So if you are hungry this afternoon around 4 p.m. and would like some pizza, come hang out with us at Garrison Park. We meet in South Austin in the Sweetbriar neighborhood usually. Awesome. Thanks, Brianna. Okay, oh, I'm Samuel. Hello, my name is Ben. This is my wife, Chelsea, our good friends, uh, uh, Rachel and Charles Samuel. Um, we are launching a brand new group next month. Um, we'll be meeting on Monday nights between 6.30 and 7 p.m. A little bit of flexibility because I know people are getting off work and everything. And we'll, go, we'll be going till around 8.30. A quick snapshot mission for our group is that we want to be a group of friends that become family who will support each other through all the things that life throws our way. Um, everybody's welcome, single folks, uh, couples and families. Um, and we just, if you're interested in that, we're going to meet in Southeast Austin. If you're interested in that, we're going to be down there at the end of the gathering, and we'd love to meet you and, and talk with you and have, if you have any questions. Awesome. Thanks. Nice. Great work. Great work. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Nick. This is Laura. And uh, we are a group that meets in the south side of Austin. We're um, meeting at uh, every other Monday currently at 530. And I'll just say that, um, you know, we've, we've been... Uh, uh, in and out of our group now for goodness for six years plus and we've just really enjoyed meeting a lot of interesting people and from from all different walks right and so our group is focused on being authentic and open and um, what we hope is just to live life with you right because we all at our own pace have struggles and things that we go through and we just want to be able to live uh, by your side through that process so Laura wants to tell you a little, little bit more about some of the other social things we do as well Hi. So, yeah, we, like Nick said, we love to live life with our group, and um, we're really excited about inviting new families in. We do have a big uh, group of kiddos in our in our group, and so kids are welcome, but we're open to anyone, and really, we, we were talking about it with um, the couples that are in our group, and we're praying for the next family. Um, whoever is out there that feels like uh, they want to get to know us, we've been praying for someone else to help live life with us, um, answer some questions. We definitely don't know everything, but I'm really grateful for our group. We have been through um, the ups and downs of lives, and it's really good to know that uh, when things are good, you know, we have someone to celebrate with, and when things are hard, um, that we don't feel as alone in it. So I love groups for that, and I'm so thankful that uh, this has become a priority for Nick and I over the last few years. So just awesome. want y'all to enjoy in that, love too. It. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I think that map is wrong. Y'all meet in uh, Southwest Austin, Circle C. Yes. Yes, yes. Southwest Austin, Circle C. Yep. Area. Um, okay. Well, I'm actually going to let them go ahead and make their way down to their tables. Um, and we've got one more to show you, um, which is our online group that is led by Robin and Alyssa LaDawn. And so, yeah, we have that video ready. We can go ahead and throw it up there. Hi, everybody. My name is Alyssa LaDawn, and I live in Metro Detroit, Michigan. Hi, I'm Robin Pryor. I live in Arlington up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And together, Robin and I co-facilitate Restore's online group. Earlier this year, we recreated this group, especially for folks who are connected with Restore Online but live outside the Austin, Texas area and are unable to join Sunday gatherings or group meetings or other Restore events in person. We are a very eclectic group of people, all ages, um, married, single, funny, serious, you name it, there's a little bit of everything with us. Yes. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time via Zoom. So if you're connected with Restore and you live outside the Austin, Texas area and you're looking for a group of folks to meet with to talk faith and day-to-day -day life, we welcome you to join us. You can sign up to join our group by going to restoreaustin.org groups. 
and you can find our group on that page and select join. Can't wait to meet you guys. Yes, looking forward to connecting with you. Man, nice job, Alyssa Lagana, Robert. They sent me that, like, the video editing and stuff done, like with the embedded website thing, that was incredible. Um, so, awesome, great work. Um, so yeah, so that website too, restoreaustin.org slash groups, you can get all the information on any of our groups on there and request to join. Um, but I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna dismiss. And if you wanna meet some of the group leaders, the groups we're highlighting today, I would love for you to do that. I'm so glad that you're here this morning and that we could do this together. Let me pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for who you are. God, not who you aren't, not the lies that we may have heard or been told about who you are, the way that you operate, but who you really are. God, who is loving and faithful and steadfast. The God who loves us no matter what, who is faithful even when we are faithless. God, we are grateful for you. And I pray that we would lean into that secure attachment that you constantly provide for us so that we could bond deeply with you, with who you are, with who you've made us to be. And that we would be so filled up by that, by that identity that we have in you, that we would be able to securely attach with our siblings in community, whether that's in restore groups, our families, our friends, coworkers, neighbors, anything like that. God, make us, as scripture talks about, little representatives of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, anywhere and everywhere we go. Places filled with love and justice and hope and goodness. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, everyone, for being here. You can go meet some folks over there. You are dismissed. See you next week. <laughs>